I'm Rebecca Carter, and welcome back to Not Nosy, a podcast where I have conversations with artists that I know and admire. Today, we're talking with Sarah Webster. She's an actress and a writer and a stay-at-home mom. Uh, she's a good friend of mine, actually, and someone that I've met through Hit Record, like most of our guests so far. She's actually located in New Jersey, and of course, I'm in Miami, so we actually chat a lot, and it's weird to think that we've never actually met in real life. Um, before I get into Sarah, I just wanted to mention that I'm hosting the weekly writing challenge on Hit Record for the next few weeks. So if you'd like to come play and write with a different prompt each week, then hop on over. I'm Rec Gator on Hit Record. And uh, last week was a prompt for writing a fake commercial. And this week, well, it'll be announced on Wednesday. Uh, speaking of fake commercials, I'm going to pop one into the middle of this episode. This one was written by Gareth Wilson, who's from the Not Nosy episode number one, and was remixed and voiced by Sarah, today's guest. So listen for that in a little bit. But first, part of what I love about these interviews are the random off-topic anecdotes that we stumble into. And that's how this conversation starts off. So here we go with Sarah Webster. Look at my fancy microphone. It connects to Bluetooth and can play almost any song that you want, just the, the music. And it has an echo feature, which is super fun. It's like, <laughs> mom, 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 mom. And I'm like, oh, my God, turn that off, please. You seem so patient with them. I don't think I would allow a... I don't think I would allow most. <laughs> I didn't buy it for them. I know you did it. My mother-in-law got it. My mom got my kids. I hate even just to say the word, but... um. Like my one of my biggest fears in life are cockroaches. I, like I, Ugh. I can't like. So she got them the fake like the joke ones. I'm like you guys, you don't understand. Like this is like horrible for me. And I kept telling them, put it away. I can't see this thing. I don't want to find it lying around the house. And finally, it was lying around the house. I thank God, and I just got it and I threw it in the garbage. We have these crickets. They're called cave crickets that are in our basement, and they're really stupid. So like. If they get scared, instead of jumping away from you to protect themselves, they jump at you. And they're so big. They're like, I call them Jurassic crickets. I mean, they're huge. They're not like as big as my hand, but they're they're like, you know, they're terrible. And I have to go down there to do the laundry. <laughs> I'm not a fan of guns. I don't like them. But like my dad grew up in Alabama and he's always had guns and his family has guns and part of like their culture growing up. So my dad got me this bug assault. Have you heard of that before? No. It's like an assault rifle for bugs, and it shoots salt, just like regular table salt. And so you're like, shh, shh, and then you click it's the big. thing. It's huge. <laughs> I can take those crickets out so easy now. Oh I, I feel God. bad using it, and I hate pulling it out in front of my girls. It helps me do laundry. Well, I feel bad too because I'm, you know, I've been a vegetarian since 18 years old and the whole thing was that I didn't want to kill animals for my, you know, doing, but I also have just this awful fear of bugs. Just, I just can't handle it. And so I justify it to myself saying, we let the bugs live outside, you know, like you don't, like I don't let my kids step on ants or anything outside, you know, we treat, we treat all the animals with respect, 
but and I know this is their land and everything but I'm sorry this is my house within the confines of my house we can't we can't we had mice in our New York apartment right after my uh, oldest was born and it was awful I saw four in one day I can't I've never had to oh god I know well I mean, it's New York, and they were little. They weren't. We didn't have rats, thank God. But they started doing um, a renovation. We lived on a really commercial block, so we had this store that they decided to gut and uh, redo. And whenever there is construction that's like attached to your building or close to your building, you're gonna get them. But I was like, I just had a baby. This is supposed to be the best time of my life, and the mice <laughs> are ruining it. <laughs> I was really upset about them. My only mouse or rat experience, uh, so it was Thanksgiving, I was in high school, we're getting ready to go to someone's house to celebrate Thanksgiving, and I go to the bathroom, to the toilet, and I hear splashing, <laughs> and there's a, like, rat in the toilet, <laughs> ew, ew. and I come out, like, my, you know, my pants are, like, around my ankles, and I'm, like, screaming, and I'm running out, and my... There goes the train. Stupid ass train. We'll just put in a, a disclaimer that Sarah <laughs> lives near a train track. So near, <laughs> like on, on a train track. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's Thanksgiving Day. We've got a rat in the toilet. So she calls the exterminator, and he says, "Well, you could pay me." like super overtime because it's a holiday and I can come over and deal with it or you hit it on the head with a spoon big spoon and you flush and uh that'll knock it out and that's uh that's that's what she did my mother-in-law had something like that happen to her too it, it was in her bathtub and there were Ugh. babies. Oh, yeah, she turned on I the water they, and they started they, swimming. Yeah, it's like they can live in the pipes or something in little like pockets and then somehow they get swept into. Mm -hmm. But for years and years and years, I couldn't go to the bathroom without turning on the light. Like in the middle of the night, I'd have to like turn on the light, check that there was no mouse in the toilet. I was at a party once and I was in the, like going to the bathroom and this is in college and the guy whose house we were at had a ferret and I didn't know. And it was in the bathroom with me. It was like this long albino ferret. I ran out with my pants down too. I was like, ah! <laughs> but I, a rat is a little different. Like at least the ferret was like gross, but it was tame. You know? Right. It was a pet. Yeah. Oh. Rats are so nasty. Oh God. Being in the city for so long. <sighs> I'm just so torn though. Cause they're in, you know, but oh. anyway, can I tell you, I'm oddly fascinated by them though in the subway. Like if they're in the tracks, and they're not on the platform. When they're on the platform, I I can't take it. Or if they are on the stairs, like you can always tell that there's a rat on the stairs because people like freak out. And okay. all of a sudden, everyone like jumps to the side. To the other side. Yeah. Um, but when they're in the, the tracks, it's kind of cool to like watch them. I don't know what it is about them. And see where they go and what they're up to. Or what they do. I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. Because you feel protected because yeah. you're you're up high. They're not going to climb the... Yeah. They could get to you <laughs> if they wanted, but they don't. So that's from your New York time. But you grew up in the South. Yes. And you're one of three. three. Yeah, I'm the oldest of three. What kind of... I'm curious to know what kind of kid were you? I was a really, really, really good kid um, yeah. until... I was like 15, and then I was a really, really, really bad kid. I was like, you know, one of those that won all the awards and like mm -hmm. 
you know, did really, really well in school. And I played uh, softball and soccer and did gymnastics and I was a cheerleader and I ran track. I mean, I like was like into all that kind of stuff, mostly right. gymnastics and cheerleading and running. But then um, I got to high school and it all went down. <laughs> and it all. So you didn't keep up appearances like it. No, I mean, that's how my mom knew something was wrong. It's like I quit the cheerleading. I mean, I was at a, on a, like a really good competition squad. And then I switched schools. My mom made me do this thing called the IB program, the International Baccalaureate. Uh-huh. Have you heard of it? Yep. And so I had to switch schools. And the squad that was at this other school was terrible. They were so bad. So I tried out for one of the plays there. Pippin. It was the first the first musical I ever did. I got in. So I quit the cheerleading squad. Like everyone was shocked that I quit, but it was terrible. And then I got in like with the theater crowd and, you know, they were kind of weird. And I had done children's theater and stuff, but I hadn't done like, you know, I hadn't been in with like the high school theater crowd. And that was kind of the start of it. But there were other factors too. I was curious and I had friends that were curious. Right. But was it the drama kids that were kind of... Well, that was like my step away from like sports and all that kind of stuff. Um, I still did really well in school. I mean, I didn't do well in IB because it just involved so much. But once I switched back to the school I was supposed to go to and then just took the AP classes, I still, even though I never went to school (laughs) and I did a lot of drugs and like, you know, showed up to school tripping on acid and... That young in high school. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I stopped pretty much doing drugs by the time I went to college. I mean, I smoked pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was bad in high school. <laughs> My poor mom. Well. I know. And so so you didn't – so I was going to ask you. So you got into acting. So you weren't doing – for some reason, I, w- I was thinking that maybe she had gotten you into, like, commercials when you were little or something like that. When I was 16, I got my first, like, comp card for modeling printed, and I got an agent and my headshots, my first headshots, and I auditioned a lot. I actually got cast in this movie. I had a lot of disappointment with acting especially early on. But I got cast in this movie and I was supposed to play Andy McDowell's daughter. The movie was called The Pink Cigar or The Bubblegum Cigar. I can't remember. I think they did change names. And she was like the high school student that was like, you know, the good girl that gets jaded. And anyway, then she comes around in the end, the character. And they like kept putting it off and putting it off. And like I'm in college and I still don't know when we're going to shoot. And then they told me that they recast it uh, with Jenna Maloney. And I actually, you don't know who she is? She's, she's, I don't know anyone's name, but I know people's faces. She's an actress. She was, um, God, she did a bunch of stuff when she was young. Um, I think she's still working. I I can't remember the last thing that I've seen her in, but anyway, I don't even know if they ever made the movie, but I was super excited about it, but I went and I mean, I met with the cast. I met the little girl who was going to play my sister. Like I, I, You know, we were, like, really excited about it. And then they were like, well, we wanted to put a name, actor. And I was like, okay. So it was a big disappointment. (laughs) And that's when you were living – where were you living at that time? When I – I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina when I got cast. But I was, like, a senior in high school when I auditioned. And then I went to school. I went to UNC Greensboro. And I was – I found – Actually, no, I auditioned in high school. I didn't find out I was cast until I was actually in college. Like, I, I you know, had a couple callbacks and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And I found out that I was cast, like, while I was in college. Because I remember telling everybody in my college class. I was so <laughs> excited. 
And then I found out that they were recasting me opening night of this show I was doing when I was a sophomore. And I showed up like, <laughs> crying. And I was like, they're giving my part to someone else. Like I said, I don't even know if they ended up making it. Right. <laughs> so. No, I know. The more you read about all the, all the Hollywood stuff, it's it's... It's not an unfamiliar tale. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, I think it was the woman who wrote it. It was like her passion project. And I don't know how she got the big actors to do it. Like, I was so excited I was going to get to be Andy McDowell's daughter. Yeah. Um, But I I never heard anything about it. So I don't know if it got made. Back then, like, I was auditioning for, like, a lot of the movies that they were making out of the same studios where they did Dawson's Creek. Okay. There's a big studio out there. It's called Screen Gym Studios um, in Wilmington, North Carolina. And so I was kind of like in between there, in between Charlotte and um, Wilmington. I went to school in Greensboro, which is like in the middle. And so I would mm-hmm. drive out there and audition and stuff. But... So they were casting out of there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's where they shot it was in Wilmington. Right. And they still do a lot of stuff out there. And I had friends that did, you know, movies and stuff from out there. <laughs> they were all like those, you know, cheesy teen horror films and stuff. <laughs> I remember I auditioned for that movie Carrie to the Rage. I auditioned for this part with like the mean girl and like I had to like have the scene that I read. I was like I had to steal I, like she was in the store and she's stealing something and I don't know whatever. <laughs> and when you were casting is it like you know I hear I'm reading a book actually by is it Jenna Fisher from The Office? Yeah. Yeah, and she's, she wrote a book about, like, behind the scenes of an actor's life and getting started. And, and she's talking about how you go into these audition rooms and everyone looks just like you. They've put out a casting call for a very specific thing, and then you're in a room of everyone that looks exactly like this. Prof- is that what it? Is that what you experienced? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I went to, um, there was this kind of big casting director in um, Atlanta, and my agent got me an audition to go do this. And I was in Greensboro at the time, which was an hour and a half north of Charlotte. So I drove six hours. Oh, wow. I stopped in Charlotte and I picked up my brother so he could ride with me. And I drove six hours to Atlanta to go to this audition. And I got in the room and they were like, sorry, it's already been cast. Yeah, I know. And so mm. I went out and I was like kind of crying and I called my agent and she's like, hold on. And she's like, look, they've already cast it, but um, she said that she'd like to meet you anyway. We'll so take a meeting. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I went in and, you know, introduced myself and, you know, nothing came of it. It stinks because like I had this run of like lots of really, really cool auditions and I was in the room with people who were casting like feature, like paid feature films. And, you know, you get the callbacks and all the stuff, but you don't get cast. And so, and that lasted for a while. There was this one agent when I was like at the end of high school, beginning of college that was sending me out a lot. And then she left that agency. And after that, like I was in college. So I kind of stopped auditioning for a while through college. And I also wanted to do like a lot of the the shows there. So, you know, I stopped auditioning professionally. Then after college, I did my internship at, instead of like going to work at a theater company or do this or that for my BFA, I I did my internship with a talent agency. And it was this talent agency in Charlotte with these women who are so amazing. (laughs) I love them so much. It's called JTA. They're very legit. You know, everyone that was graduating from my school like was like can you hook me up with them can you introduce me and you know I did get a couple people represented but I did my um internship with them and they didn't typically take interns but because they were like all female and they were Mm -hmm. I just kind of meshed with them and so after I finished college that's I started auditioning again because they took me on 
as talent. And so I've had two, um, before I ever went to New York, I had two times in my life where I was like auditioning like big time, but nothing ever panned out, <laughs> which is so frustrating. But, um, you know, it just kind of is what it is. And uh, that's the business. You know what I mean? And what sent you to New York? Was it that you graduated and you wanted to, you were going to pursue acting in New York or? Well, I was kind of running into some dead end stuff in Charlotte. Like I, I was drinking too much after I moved back to Charlotte after I was done with college. And I mean, I was doing fine. Like I was waiting tables. I was making money. I was auditioning. Mm -hmm. But like I kind of started drinking and doing drugs again. I was, I've never been like addicted to anything, but like, I just was a mess. I was an utter mess. And I was kind of like, I need to get out of this rut. And part of me like wishes I'd stayed a little bit longer because I had that good agent and I could have like booked, you know, the, the market there is so much slimmer, but I studied abroad my last semester of college. And typically they take all the BFA students up to New York and let them showcase in New York. But because I was studying abroad, I didn't get to do that. So I called my, my school and I talked to the, you know, the people who ran the BFA program. And I was like, can I do the showcase with the students that are getting ready to graduate? And they told me I could. So I put some stuff together for the showcase. You could do one scene and one monologue. And I went up to New York and I showcased with a, a class that was like two years after I had graduated. And an agent called me. I got the message when I was getting off the plane that they wanted to rep me. And so I was like, okay. So I was like, I'm, I'm moving up there. And I just decided to move. And like two months later, I moved up there and I met with him and I got all this information. I went and got pictures and all this kind of stuff. And then I never heard from him. And I'm like waiting and waiting and waiting. And I was like, what's going on? So then I called the agency and they're like, yeah, he's not with us anymore. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like stuff like that happens all the time. And I feel like right. it happened to me more than most. Well, but and you're so young and kind of inexperienced and it's, it's so easy to fall into that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny the things that happen. Like and you listen to people who you think know what they're talking about, but like, you know, you get a little bit older and you're like, that person did not know what they were talking about. I had this one person tell me that when I moved to New York, I needed to have a 212 number because if they saw my 704, sure. they were going to think I was from somewhere else. So he was like, you need to get a voicemail number. All right. And I was like, okay. So I got this voicemail number and it was just, you know, you I couldn't take calls on it. But I knew if I put it on like my headshots and I put it on my business cards and stuff, if I was getting a message that it had to be for an audition. So I was like super excited every time my phone would buzz and I'd be like, oh, it's a voicemail. Well, my number <laughs> ended up being one number off from the number that you called to get tickets to the Tony Danza show. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would constantly so get messages. these, oh my God, from like these old Long Island ladies and they'd be like, hello, I was wondering if I could get tickets to see Tony Danza for the morning on Sunday. And I'm like, oh my God. So here I am like, yes, audition. And no, Tony Danza. Tony Danza. And I don't want to hate Tony Danza, but I'm like, fucking Tony Danza. <laughs> So you moved to New York basically by yourself. Where'd you, where'd you live? Did you live by yourself or did you get I did. like I a rent-a-room? or No, I got the best apartment. <laughs> so my budget was kind of like $1,000 a month is what I could afford. 
when I moved up there and I found this place and it was $1,300 a month, but it was perfect. It was so, I loved it so much. And my mom's like, all right, well, we'll, 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 we'll supplement you. Um, and so I'm like, okay. So I had, I had a condo in Charlotte as like a graduation gift. My parents, well, back then you didn't have to put much down to buy stuff. So my, as like a graduation gift, they gave me a down payment for a condo. And so I sold my condo, I sold my car. So I had like a chunk of money to go up there, which was nice. And they said they were going to supplement me. And then I got up there and they're like, oh, just let us know if you need help. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The deal has changed. Well, you can't complain about that because I wouldn't have ever been able to even go up there without having had the money from the condo and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, it sounds like my husband's always like, your parents bought you a house. I'm like, no, they didn't. You could put 5,000 down on a condo back then. Like that's different. (laughs) It's different. So, and I was waiting tables and stuff. Where was it? And it was super, super cute. It was Upper East Side, but it was, I was really close to the, um, the NRW. I think it's the NRQ now. So I was close to the train. It was nice. Yeah. It was a really convenient little place. I was on the first floor. For your first place. I I feel like I got lucky with it. It was really nice. Um, When I moved out, they started leasing it for like 1800 a month. It was crazy. I think rents went through the roof. So, I mean, I feel like maybe I got a deal. I lived in Stamford, Connecticut for like six months and, and, uh, like when I was, you know, I was 22 years old and, and my friend was living in the city. And so I would always be there on the weekends and she had one of these apartments where it was just, it was just classic New York apartment. I don't know how many floors walk up. I don't remember it being that bad, but she had no control over the heat. It, it was so hot, like in the middle of winter, it was so so hot the radiators were just whatever the radio so you would be coming in from outside in the snow or whatever all bundled up and we would just be walking around in tank tops and shorts with the windows open in the middle of winter because we were trying to cool the place down that was my first apartment that's classic new york for me yeah and i had they had like the pipes that basically sound like you're like banging on them like, with like it sounds like somebody's got pots and pans that they're like banging on your pipes and you're like what is that noise and I had this heating pipe in my bathroom that was super hot and the bathroom was tiny and if you like bent over to pick something up it would like burn your ass because <laughs> it all heated through the the water but yeah that apartment was super hot too I had to leave my window open <laughs> this building was kind of weird though like my apartment had this window to, no, to nowhere. Like you opened up the window and there was this little space that was probably like two feet by two feet. And then you just looked straight up and I could see like the sky, but it was all walled in. And mm. so I, maybe it was just for people to put window unit air conditioners in or whatever. But so <laughs> I just kept that open. So at least like I didn't feel scared to leave my windows on the first floor. Yeah. Open. Well, that's true. So in New York, is that where you got the soap opera? Yeah. No. What's the timeline here? Let's not let's not go crazy saying I got a soap opera. I did work. <laughs> I worked on all my children for years, but I was never like a contract character. Um, I was an. I started off as like a college student, and I would do like study groups and dorm room scenes, and then I became a nurse, and I did what they call background and under five, which under five means you have five or under lines. Um, sometimes an under five means you don't even talk. Basically, like. <laughs> main like principal character can hand you something and you hold it and 
all of a sudden right. you're an under five. So, you know, you'd be background some days and they'd be like, go stand next to her. And Erica Kane would hand you something and you'd be an under five. And But yeah, no, I worked for several years on all my children, but I never did more than background and under five. How often were you going? Well, you know, it would depend. There was a tornado that hit Pine Valley one time. So I was working like three times a week for like a month. It's so weird with soap operas, like a tornado is an event that lasts like a couple hours, but they did like a week's worth of two weeks worth of shows with that tornado. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, like, you've got a baby that turns like eight, like after three episodes. So you never really know how time works. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it would just depend like as the nurse, I did a lot of the NICU stuff. So they had mm-hmm. me in all the time for the NICU. So if somebody had a, a baby that was premature. Or... And all that time you're waitressing basically as your main Yeah, I got lucky. Like, I wouldn't, um, yeah. I mean, if you're trying to make it in New York City, let me tell you something. Steakhouse, waiting tables in a steakhouse is the way to go because it's the most money you can make with the most flexibility. If you start getting into like the restaurants, like where my husband worked. Really fine dining. Yeah, you don't have flexibility. Like those are really coveted positions. I mean, you make six figures working at those places. As a waiter? As a waiter, yeah. As a back waiter, yeah. Wow. I mean, (laughs) you, you can make a ton of money. But just like working in a steakhouse, I got really lucky. Like if I had an all my children job come up and usually you'd find out about it a couple days in advance. Um, sometimes you'd find out about it last minute. They'd let you switch a lot. So I'd just give up my lunch for that day and then pray that I got out in time to make it by four. I think there were only two or three times that I didn't make it. And luckily I had friends that were understanding and they'd cover for you. I only had to call out once. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I balanced that. And then you do other things like you do like the student films. It sucks. Like, and it's one thing my husband never really understood, but like I was hustling to like do the Mm -hmm. work that I did there, but a lot of it is unpaid right? because you have to build your resume and that sucks. And it's really hard to explain to somebody who's like, it's a different, yeah, it's a different mindset. His job, you show up, you do your work and then you go home. But you don't do that work to get paid. And they pay you for that work. And actors who have a name can do that or actors who have a lot of experience can do that. But in order to get the experience and get the agent, you have to... So Mm -hmm. you deal with such bullshit. It's so annoying. But yeah, you do like student films. You do. (laughs) I did a couple features. I almost got cast. See, this is another one where I thought that I was going to be like, you know, the lead role. Um, The first feature film that I was ever cast in in New York was called Under the Sky. Okay. And um, I auditioned like 100 times. Not 100. I probably auditioned like six times. And I was up for the lead. And I had gotten this myself. I didn't get it through an agent or anything. But it was like this guy who was like bigger, like the Bollywood scene, but he was trying to like make a movie in New York. So some of the best acting I feel like I've ever done in my life was when he told me what the movie was going to be about. And he's like, so it's this girl. And, and he's got this thick accent, so he's kind of hard to understand. And he's like, she, her, her family dies, and she wants to change her life. So she moves to the city, and she's going to work and help people in shelters. And then she's attacked, and she's in this hospital in a coma. And this homeless man that she had met was Indian that she had helped um, along the way. And the only thing that brought her out of her coma was him playing his sitar. Oh. Uh. And so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, it doesn't matter what instrument he was playing. That's a right. really, really cheesy concept. <laughs> so anyway, um, 
then he told me I wasn't going to be the lead actress. I was going to be her friend. I was like, okay, I'll be her friend. And then guess what? I wasn't her friend. I was the head nurse, but it was still a pretty decent part. I think I worked like four days, five days in some hospital in Brooklyn. Never. Was it, pay- was that a paid gig or was that? No, not that part. That part was not paid. Unfortunately, uh, it was, yeah. I mean, it was my first feature film. Uh, sure. Somehow it, after having like worked, they were pretty organized. I have to say, cause I've worked on some films that were not organized. <laughs> These people did not know what they were doing. It was like really brutal. Um, they were pretty organized. They had, you know, all the, like they, they had all the like equipment and stuff that, like I said, you, you get out, you get somewhere sometimes, like you get to these jobs sometimes and you're like, these people don't even have like a good camera. Like, what are they doing? But, uh, they got it in the New York film festival and he, he emailed everybody and uh, I don't know what happened, but I didn't end up being able to make it. Had I been like the lead? Yeah. I would have totally been there, but you know, Aww. the nurse, I was like, whatever. So I don't, Aww, you should have gone. I should have. And you know what? I, I never even got a copy of that film. Unfortunately, that's another thing is there, you're always supposed to get a copy of the work that you do, but it is so hard to track people down when you do those like low budget independent. Right. So did you even ever see it? Mm-mm, I never saw it. <laughs> nope. That would kill me. Never saw it. It was my first one too. And that's what, that's another thing you have to remember is like, I didn't understand that you have to constantly follow up with these people and like badger them to get the stuff you know even if like a lot like a one time a film of mine didn't actually ended up it didn't end up getting made because there was a lot of sound issue with like this big scene it wasn't a scene I was in but and I just hounded the guy enough until he sent me my scenes and I was like okay well you know but I knew at that point that that's what you had to do like when you first because you're trying to make your reel and and all that exactly exactly and it was harder then, right? Because you didn't, you couldn't do stuff on your phone. You couldn't. Yeah. Now it's so different because everyone can do, you know, everything basically. I mean, to to an extent that yeah would be sufficient. You know, I, I I've been out of it for a while, so I don't really know what it's like now. I know now, like when people go to auditions, they don't, I don't think they take headshots anymore. I think everything's done online. You send all your information via internet people don't want to carry all that stuff around there's a lot of self-tapes too yeah a lot of self-tapes but there was a lot of self-tapes back then too I'm such a dummy I got a camera to do self-tapes and for whatever reason I bought a camera that records on many discs and Mm -hmm. they fit into like an adapter disc but they even fit into some and the guy was like are you sure you don't want digital and I'm like no nobody's using that right now well they weren't (laughs) using it yet but god I should have gotten a digital camera it's like I think my first cell phone I got, I, I wanted to. Well, I was living in Colorado at the time as my excuse. So in the mountains, you need like the there's the dual band, like there's like the digital and the analog or something. And so that the only phones that could handle both were just like these monster sized <laughs> cell phones. And everyone's like, don't you want like these cute little flip phones? And I was like, oh, no, but I need service in the mountains, you know, and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I was like, this is good everywhere, but it was like... How often were you going to the mountains? Well, on the weekends and stuff. (laughs) It wasn't that far, but it was just... uh, And I remember one time I went to like a bar or something and I told some people that I lived really close and they were and they saw my phone and they're like, you live so close, you can bring your home phone. Like they thought it was like... (laughs) Like that's the size of it. They thought it was my cordless phone. (laughs) That's funny. I remember my parents first. They got it was a car phone and it came in like this like a zipper bag 
and it was like this big and it attached to this like like the bag had this huge battery that like lived in the bag and then you unzipped this top piece and you could pull the phone out but it was still I don't know it's so funny like how different things were back then well and were you under the understanding someone told me in uh college so this is I started college in 95 that you could have a cell phone that doesn't have service but you could still always dial 911 for free I I never tested it but I always had a cell phone that was charged up when I drove and in case I had to call 911, but I don't know if it actually worked because I was terrified to call 911 and test it. Exactly. Because I didn't want to get in trouble. Because I'm a rule follower. And <laughs> but that was how I survived for years in college was I had a charged cell phone with no service. When I was in college, I had a cell phone that I refused to keep on and it bugged my friends so bad. They're like, we called you a hundred times. And I'm like, my cell phone is not so you can get in touch with me. It's so I can get in touch with you. Ooh. I'll turn it on when I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be tied down to a cell phone. And now I'm like, like, I mean, like it's a red light and I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And now a fake commercial from our fake sponsor. Ever wondered how to make the most of your hemorrhoids? Love that sparkly, bejazzled look? Well, then we have the answer for you. Gemeroids! If you can't get rid of the pesky little danglers, adorn them with gemstones instead. We offer a wide variety of shapes and colors sure to make your partner swoon. With brand new snowflake and reindeer shapes available just in time for the holidays. If you can't shake them, decorate them! Wow! Your asshole, it's beautiful and festive, too. Gemeroids are for decorative purposes only. So you were doing the acting. Why'd you, why'd you stop? The ki- because you had kids? Basically. So it was like kind of a bunch of stuff happened all at once. I never really wanted to stop. But um, I got engaged and I had just gotten a new job where the flexibility was like a little bit less because I was new. And right at that time, and I was, because we were getting married in North Carolina, I was flying back and forth to do a lot of the planning for it. Then I found out that all the soap operas were moving to LA. So um, that was kind of sad. Like, and I had just kind of built up the courage to go talk to the casting director and be like, I'd, I'd really like to, you know, do some other, I'd be like considered for other stuff. And then they were moving and I was like, I should have just done it. But I get so nervous about being pushy and about coming across as like, I don't know, you see people who like seem like they're pushing boundaries in a way that are like. Rubs you the wrong way. Or that you feel kind of is inappropriate. It's like, okay. but but at the same time, I feel like I could be more assertive. Um, right. So yeah, they moved out there, and um, and that wasn't in the cards for you. Yeah, you know, we were getting ready to get married. No, no. Did you ever have a desire to move to LA, or not really? That was a thought early on. I mean, that's what I always said I was going to do when I was young. But when it comes down to it, I'm I'm too, like, I I need my family way too much and I don't think that I would want to be that far away unless I was in a position where I could travel whenever I wanted and I certainly wouldn't be in a position to travel whenever I wanted if right you know well definitely not now but um Mm -hmm. you know back then when I didn't have any money like that just it wasn't an option I'm just too close with my family another thing about LA is like in LA everybody's trying to go do film 
or television and everybody's an actor there's a million news there's a million and but but everybody's also trying to be a star in new york you can be a working actor you can do like enough stuff to get by and like i never necessarily wanted to be famous i mean when i was a kid i was like i'm gonna win an oscar or whatever but i'm gonna (laughs) star in the soaps and i'm gonna play my own evil twin that was like my dream for a while (laughs) i wanted to be a soap opera villain so bad really did you grow up watching soap operas no no i got into soap operas when i worked at the talent agency with those women they closed down their whole business (laughs) from 12 30 to 2 every day you were not allowed to stop by and visit unless you were willing to watch them and not talk they shut off their phones. What was their show? Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful. They loved them. I tried. Like, I spent the first, like, half of my summer, I'd, like, you know, I was reading the Harry Potters and, like, trying not to pay attention or whatever. And mm-hmm. by the end of the summer, I was like, I can't believe she did that to him. You know? Because <laughs> it was something we could all gossip and joke about. They didn't really take them seriously, but they watched them every day. They were religious. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's what made me want to be a soap opera villain. My grandmother watched her, she called them her stories religiously yeah. i mean but my grandmother had the tv on all day long I, di- I didn't really watch them growing up and then my roommate in my freshman year of college we had a i think chemistry or something at the same time three o'clock but that's when general hospital was on and she just skipped class she'd be like no i'm gonna i'm gonna stay here and i know watch you can't record show. it you couldn't record it back then do you want to get back into acting or is that done do i want to yeah absolutely and like i feel like i feel like i could totally do it it's doable the problem is is you know the kids Mm -hmm. you know i need to be with them right now because they're little the other problem is being in new jersey like you pay 20 bucks in tolls just to get there and then you know it's like 40 bucks to park your car in the deck. There's nowhere you can park in the city the weekdays uh, because it's all just for commercial parking or like uh, loading and unloading. I mean, getting in, it would just suck. And there's no good train for you. I mean, I'm right by, I'm right by the train. Yeah, I could yeah. walk to the train station. You live on the train. I, I could walk to the train station super easy. The train, I mean, it costs like I think it's like 40 bucks for a one-way ticket. I could get a pass if I was going in a lot. Yeah, it's so expensive. It's so expensive out here. It's ridiculous. And so it'd be great, but that's a hustle to go out there and do all those auditions and to spend all that money and to not know. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's just no sure thing. And there it is. If I could find the right person to give me an opportunity and I could just do like I feel like but no one's going to just give you like the opportunity to do like a breakout role they're just not like you have to you have to do the hustle you have to audition and and I did that for a really long time but I'm so out of it right now I do stuff on hit record but like that's not acting and I do kind of feel like sometimes when I do that stuff, it kicks it back in and, you know, it makes me feel more creative and I enjoy it. But it's not, that's not the type of stuff I really want to be doing either. Like I want to, you know, really do the acting. But like I said, I don't really have the ability at this point in my life to go back and do that kind of hustle. If I was still in Astoria, I could make it work because they've got a lot of opportunities now for working actor moms a friend of mine she takes her kids all the time to i think it's called broadway babysitters Mm. and you just drop them off while you go to your audition and then you pick them up and i think it's like a two-hour limit or whatever 
Um, but sometimes that's not even enough because like you wait for like an hour and a half in some of these auditions. It's crazy. But I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works. But there are more options now than there were before. So if I was still there and I could, you know, get into the city in like a quick 30 minutes and then get back out, it'd be different. But the driving in and parking is so expensive that it's just not, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, and like I said, the friends I have that are still auditioning, they'll book like, you know, a short bit part on like a a show. And, you know, you'll make what, 800 bucks for like the two days that you work, which sounds great. You know what I mean? But how many auditions and how many babysitters did you pay? And how, you know what I mean? So it's not really paying for itself. And I'm not ready to give it up, but I, I mean, I would have to have like an opportunity fall into my lap to conceivably make it work at this point in my life. Maybe when I'm older and when the girls are older and, you know, yeah, I'd like for the writing to pan out the children's books, but the writing, have you always liked writing? You're like, uh, you're a great writer. You're an incredible rhymer. (laughs) Some, some of them. I sometimes I surprise myself. But where did I mean in in college were you doing some of that creative writing as well, or where did that kind of come from? No, I I didn't start writing until I had kids, and then um, I got into Sesame Street with my first uh, daughter because she loved it, and so I started writing like silly things, like silly parody songs that, um, and then like it really became like I really 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 wanted to work on Sesame Street. And I wrote a bunch of parody songs and I put stuff on YouTube and I, you know, but it was just hard to like figure out how to get it to them. And a lot of complicated stuff happened, but like I started writing that kind of stuff and that's what got me into the writing kids books mm-hmm. is, and, and that still would be like an amazing thing. I would love to be like an actor on a kid's show and to just write little bits for kids, like little educational pieces for kids. That would be like a dream right now because that kind of work is consistent. You're not famous doing it. So you can still have a normal life. Like I don't want to have people like my husband's very private. I'm wide open. Like you ask me a question, I'll answer it. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. like I'm private with my kids. I'm not big on social media. I don't really post anything. I kind of just stalk. (laughs) I don't have an Instagram. I don't do Twitter. It would be, that would be ideal for me. Um, Just the kid stuff is what I would really like. And do you think that you would still like that even as your kids grow older? I think that it would help me adjust to, you know, my kids getting older. I think, you know, I look at at the baby right now and she's just so squishy and sweet but she's like starting to not be a baby anymore and it's like oh god it's heartbreaking like she's losing that little sway back and that little fat belly and she still has those chubby cheeks and when she sucks on her binky she looks like you know so bitty bitty but like (laughs) I feel like it would help to be around little ones okay once mine get bigger I I don't want more I I don't think but no, I'm, I'm, I don't want more. Well, um. <laughs> I find that I like my interests change. I only like to deal with basically what my kids are into right now. You know what I mean? So for me to be, I was interested in the baby stuff when I had babies. But as soon as I didn't have babies, I, I was over that. I didn't want that anymore. You know, now I'm into the new stuff. And that might be because I'm just not, that's just not my set. You know what I mean? Like if you ask me to talk in front of kids or adults, I'll pick adults 
any day of the week I've learned. <laughs> well, I mean, but if you look at Sesame Street, like, have you ever watched it? It's, yeah. it's so clever. And there's, I mean, it, it, it's smart on so many levels. And it's for adults, too. Like, right. a, a lot of the stuff is written for, you know, Undertones the amusement of adults. And... Like, there's the Cookies Crummy Pictures where they have the Les Miserables and Cookies trying to figure out the different people's emotions. And, and it's basically like Les Mis. And you've got Eponine. She's jealous. And you know what I mean? And he's got to figure out by her body language. It's just so clever. And mm-hmm. I would love to do that kind of stuff. Um, even if my kids got older and I look at the stuff that they watch now that my older one watches now that she's older, but she watches like the descendants and stuff. That's actually for older kids. Like it's not really for her age, but that's not the kind of stuff that interests me. I feel like that's cheesy. I mean, the songs are kind of clever. Like some of the writing for the songs is clever. I would be interested in maybe doing something like that, like lyrics, but I mean, I would take an acting job in a Disney show, even <laughs> if it was a terrible, terrible show. <laughs> I think we bond a lot over, I think, I don't know, something about our personalities and we have our kids and we're in a lot of the same situation and I always feel torn. A lot of what you're saying, it's like you want to be at home. You need to be at home, but you also want to be at home and uh, there with the kids, but then there's this like underlying desire to make or create or accomplish or something. Absolutely. But I want to feel like I can do it and still do this. You know, there's something, I'm a creature of habit and I'm, you know, I'm in a schedule now. I have like, I'm used to the way things are and they're not perfect and they could be better and I could make them better and I could do this and I could do that. But I'm pretty comfortable right now. And like the thought of changing and I'm going to have to, because they're going to get older and things Uh are just going to naturally change. But like, I get kind of set and stuck in schedules. Mm-hmm. So I need to find a way to like really push myself to do more. I told you, I don't want to talk about it on the podcast about the specifics of what it is, but I've mm-hmm. been working really hard on the mommy book lately because I feel like that's something that is still so relevant to me that I think has never been done. I think it's a, I think it's a clever idea. And you, so you set, you set a goal for yourself you told me the other day that you, that you wanted to write one thing a day. I wanted to ask you how that has been going. <laughs> well, it was going fine. I mean, nothing is complete. That's the thing. Like with the mom stuff, I get the idea and I start writing it. And then I'm like, but I don't know how I'm going to finish it. And so like right now, I literally have six things that I'm working on. And like I'll go back in and I'll spruce it up. And I haven't been working on anything this weekend. One thing I have been doing a lot of lately is exercise. I want to run a marathon next year. Ooh. Run the New York Marathon. So I've been trying to work out five times a week, which is really hard. Um, And trying to train for a marathon at the gym, which is even harder. Because you don't, you can't train your body on a treadmill. You just like. It's not the same. Have you ever run like a half marathon or anything? I mean, I run eight miles, like just easy uh-huh. stretch, easy. But I ha- the unfor- I've, I've never done a half marathon. But I don't. I I could do a half marathon without training at this point because I feel like I already have the training. I could not do a full marathon. I would have to. I was hoping that by Christmas I would be doing ten mile stretches. But when mm. you can't get outside, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Like. The treadmill because of the really weather or because body. of the baby? I would pay a babysitter for, you know, a two-hour run for both mm-hmm. my girls for one, one time doing that. 
what I pay at the gym for a full month. I mean, I pay 30 mm. bucks and I can take right. my, my girls for two hours every single day. So why, why on earth? You know what I mean? It's already paid for. So I just go to the gym. So I wanted to ask you, I don't have a good segue for this, but you you are very close with your mom. You mentioned that you're, you're really close with your family and you like to oh, be yeah. close to your family. And I'm curious if you want to talk about it. Um, because I think mother-daughter relationships are sometimes very strained and difficult. And so if you had any kind of insight about what works, about what how you guys have your relationship. and At this point, it's funny because, like, my mom's probably, like, I mean, obviously my husband is, like, the person I spend the most time with socially. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he's my best friend. But, like, I talk to my mom three, four, five times a day sometimes. Ooh. We FaceTime. Maybe we don't talk that often. But we'll talk to two at least, you know, on and off. Sometimes it's only for a few minutes. She's as obsessed with cable news as me. So it helps that we have a similar obsession. <laughs> Um, she even likes the same shows that I like. So, you know, we talk about that. So you say, did you just see this? And what do you think about this? And- <sighs> did you see what that idiot did? Yeah. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we do have like something in common to talk about. Um, we had some ups and downs. And, you know, it, I feel like it's really silly when people are like, oh, my mom's my best friend. But like, my mom really is like, we were always close, but having children and being a stay-at-home mom and being in New York City and having worked in restaurants and having, like, all my friends basically ditch me. I think the only way I could have lost as many friends without having kids is if I decided to be sober. It's crazy. I just I just didn't have any friends anymore. They couldn't relate. Not well. I mean, we kept different hours, too. I, it's yeah. not all, you know, restaurant people's faults. I'm waking up at 6 in the morning, and they're going to bed at 4. So, like, sure, you know, it's different. It's a lot different. But after having kids, like I've always been close with my family. I always, you know, would talk to them on the phone and spend a lot of time with them. But having kids is really, really, really what made me even more close with my mom and my dad. And now with my brother because he has kids. Because we can relate. And so, and because my mom was so excited. My mom loves babies. And I was the first one in the family to have kids. So immediately we both went out and got iPads and we would FaceTime. We would FaceTime and just watch my oldest. She would just lay there. She wouldn't be doing anything. Or she'd be like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I'd take a video and my dad would be like, your mom's watched that video 10 times today. I'm like, really? And I, she showed I was it like, to the oh, neighbors. it's the best video ever. And then I go back and I watch it. And I'm like, I can't believe I watched that 50 times. Like, she didn't even do anything. <laughs> so that, like, is kind of what sparked, like, the more intense, like, relationship. And I'm not saying it's intense, but, like, the the – relationship that we have now is we still FaceTime. I FaceTime with my mother-in-law a lot too, because, you know, she wants to see the girls and she's super, super active in their relationship. And, and I think it's important for them, Mm -hmm. but it also gives me an opportunity to talk to grownups, which I don't always get, you know, you go to the gym, but I'm dropping the kids off and I talk to the babysitters for like two seconds and then I'm going to go run. No one wants to talk to you in the gym and I don't want to talk to anybody at the gym. And, right. you know, that's hour and a half, two hours. But then we come home, we eat lunch, we do nap. Stupid train. I go pick up my daughter. You know, we've got our classes that we go to. It's a hustle. Right. So a lot of times the only grown-up that I talk to all day, besides the five minutes that I see my husband in the morning, is my mom. Right. So, I mean, 
she really is like the closest one to me. I mean, I, I don't know how to give people advice because I think everybody's relationship is different. And I think maybe some people don't want to have the same level of like comfort and, you know, that I have with my family. Do you hope for that with your kids though? I would assume. Oh my God. Yes. I yeah. want, I don't want them to think that we're friends now. I think that's inappropriate. I think until they are adults, you can't really consider your kids, your friends. Because I still have to parent them and I still need them to respect me in a manner that's like different than peer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I still respect my mother and, but, but I understand the relationship and the difference. You know what I mean? Right. Whereas those kids, they don't, but, um, yeah, I totally want that for my kids and I, I want them to be best friends too. So, you know, when they're fighting, I'm like, I know, oh, it's so hard. Do you want to give them what you had? Like that's always that, that's my my struggle. I know. I I already started reading like a lot of the books that I loved as a kid to my daughter. Like we read all the Ramonas and she loved them. And then we started the Judy Moody's which weren't around when I was a kid or if they were I didn't know about them. Um and she's like I think I like these better. I'm like Okay. <laughs> Did you ever read her um Eloise? I, I have read her Eloise. We have it. Um, Not a hit. I didn't read Eloise as a kid. And like I can kind of appreciate it a little bit. But like she just annoyed me when I read it the first time. I'm like, she's a brat. <laughs> and I feel like if I'd read her as a kid, I wouldn't think that. Because I don't think that about Ramona. But I mean, they explain Ramona's thought process. Like you are kind of in her head. So even when she acts like you know, crazy and throws these tantrums that obviously none of the adults or even the older children understand. You understand it because you're in her head and it makes sense. Her behavior makes sense. But that's the way the book is written. With Eloise, I feel like she's just kind of like, I don't know. Did you Do you like Eloise? I do. I, I was given it as a child and I just I just loved it. You know, it's, it's cool. It's got like one of these maps where you like follow like her path and she does all these crazy things. And She's it was the one just that lives in the hotel, exciting. right? She lives at the plaza. And it's just about, I still have my copy from when I was little and, and I just, I just really enjoyed that one. And it makes a lot of sense to me around here in Miami. There's all these high rises. We don't live in one quite like that, but you can get a feel for it, you know, kid, kid growing up in the, you know, an apartment like this. Yeah. I mean, it is cute. And I like, I feel like if I had known it earlier instead of reading it now, but there's so many books now, like I read it and like the first thing it made me think of was Olivia, the Olivia books, but they're Mm -hmm. written for such a younger target age. But Olivia has like that same big personality, kind of like Eloise. And so I was associating it with things that were written 20 years later. Right. I was associating with things that were written a lot, much, much later, but that were already special to me. So like I couldn't, I don't know, I guess it's kind of like I watched the Goonies as a kid and I thought it was the most amazing movie I'd ever seen. I absolutely loved it. And my husband hadn't seen it. I'm like, oh my God, you've got to watch the Goonies. And he watched it and he's like, this movie is okay. Right. Like, like, of course you don't like it. You're grown up. Yeah. Don't like the Goonies. You like some of that darker stuff, too, because, yeah, I remember they brought me to Goonies in the theater, and I screamed, and I cried, and I hid under my chair, and my mother was yelling at me to get back into my chair, and I didn't want to watch the movie, and that's all I know about the Goonies. But, yeah, there's so many people like you that just love it, and 
Well, the Goonies you watch when you're little, but then you watch it again when you're like in elementary school and then again when you're like even in junior high and high school and you still love it because like the kids are all different ages. So like it brings you back and you can relate now to like the different kids that you didn't relate to before. There were so many shows on like when we were kids that were. I put on Punky Brewster's on Netflix or Apple, something Punky Brewster is available and I put it on for my kids and I'm like. Oh my God, this is so dark and weird. And, you know, it's like, you know, and it, some, some stuff just doesn't, some of the old stuff, you're like, God, this was for children. Yeah, you watch some of the, we put on ALF, same, like just some of the jokes just so off color. And, you know, you're just like, oh, that's inappropriate. You can't make those jokes. Yeah, don't, no, 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 that's not funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my girls started watching, you know what they play on uh, Showtime now is Fraggle Rock. Oh, yeah. And she loves it, but she loved, she loves Muppets and she loves Sesame Street. So I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that she likes it. Still, it's all Jim Henson. But. Oh, I remember. Yeah. It was like the kids that had the paid channels, they had Fraggle Rock and it was like, I didn't have it. So I only got to see it when I went to someone else's house. But I, since I was just seeing it once in a blue moon, I, I didn't get yeah, you attached didn't. to it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked um, MathNet on PBS. Did you ever see this? It's like a dragnet math show. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, no, I, I loved don't think it. So. They were like, they were like detectives or police or something, but it was all math problems. And uh, I that sounds oh like God. Odd Squad now. Yeah, kids? yeah. It was like, but it was just all the jokes were like math jokes. <laughs> oh my god, I love that show. Isn't it funny how they've redone so many things? Like, my daughter watches Inspector Gadget now. But a new one? A new Inspector Gadget? And they made a new Scooby-Doo, too. Like, 2010, 2011. There were only two seasons, but... And they don't even have the Scooby-Doo song. I'm like, that's not Scooby-Doo if it doesn't have the song. They didn't get the rights. I mean, they had to have gotten the rights. They have the mystery machine and all the characters. Anyway, it's funny. They remake all of those now. Well, I think, God, I had so much more, but I think I think we did good, and we did it all within nap time. I know. She's kind of moving around a little bit, but she's not aware. Oh. Stick around. It's not over yet. If I had a time machine, I would make up a better story about how the cat died. <laughs> or I would not run over the cat. That little clip was Sarah and her youngest daughter, the one that was napping during our interview, and she was recording a little improv for Hit Record from her car, and her daughter was in the back seat. I don't know, maybe she thought she was sleeping. Anyway, they don't even have a cat, so... (laughs) But the poor baby heard it and just lost it, and it's sad and kind of funny, and uh, she let me share that, but anyway... (laughs) So that was uh, that was my conversation with Sarah Webster. I love all those acting stories, the auditions, the moving to New York, the all my children. Be curious actually to see if there's any all my children fans out there that uh, from her time uh, on the show. It's so heartbreaking though to see how often people well get their own hearts broken in this industry. It's it's no wonder people start making their own stuff just so they can have control over what they're able to act in that's actually the story of how hit record got started with joseph gordon lovett 
Anyway, she mentioned the story about how she was cast to play Andy McDowell's daughter, and she mentioned that it was recast with Jenna Maloney, and I hadn't known who that was, and I looked her up. She was actually the girl who got pregnant in the movie Saved, which I, probably one of my top favorite movies, um, but it's probably a pretty polarizing movie. She played, she's been acting since she was very young. She played uh, a young Jodie Foster in Contact, and anyway, she is definitely still acting. But it doesn't seem that that movie ever did get made. So I wonder, I don't know, just thinking about Sarah, you know, she was so heartbroken that she lost that role, but then the movie didn't even get made. So, God, it's like it would have ended poorly either way. And so true about how when you're young, you just don't know all the things you're supposed to do. And she was waiting and waiting on that agent that flaked and and all of these things. And I think about my own 20s and I cringe, but... I guess that's part of growing up, right? I love the tip about waiting tables at a steakhouse. I've never actually waited tables, but it makes sense that if you're going to work for tips, work at the most expensive place you can have. And, And she was saying, you know, without getting super fancy and serious. And for me, a lot of this interview is really important because you kind of get an inside look at stay at home mom dilemmas. And this is something uh, that you might have heard in past interviews and you'll probably hear in future interviews, but this is something I deal with a lot and a lot of people that I know. Um, I think it's important, probably especially for people that aren't in this situation, to understand and to hear kind of these first-person accounts and the desire to want to be home with your children, but also to want to do more and the difficulty of leaving an industry and trying to get back into it and plus issues of childcare and costs and time and all sorts of things. I think it helps to hear these stories and to see kind of the inner struggles that people go through as we try and find the right path and the right balance. And of course, it's never going to be perfect. I mean, there's no perfect answer, but I think it's interesting to hear about. So like I said in the interview, Sarah's an amazing rhymer and she really has a way with words and just really clever. You should definitely check out some of her work on Hit Record and I hope she keeps plugging away at her secret book project so that you can see it someday. I did ask Sarah for any updates and regarding the marathon training, she's running her first half marathon in three weeks. So good luck with that, Sarah. And I just want to thank Sarah for sitting down with me and everything that she's done for me. She's actually very crafty too. So if you want to see some earrings that she recently made me and sent me, I'm going to upload a photo to Instagram at notnosypodcast. And that's it for episode four of this podcast. Thank you so much for all of the great feedback. Keep it coming. I love those five-star ratings and lovely reviews on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't done it already, You could consider it your good deed for the day and maybe tell someone about the podcast or tag us on social media. Um, I say us. This is a one-woman show right now, and this one woman really appreciates your support and helping us uh, grow the audience. There I go with the us again. (laughs) Me? I don't know. (laughs) Thank you. Again, it's at Not Nosy Podcast on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, YouTube, or email me, notnosypodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.